Hey everyone, it's Brooke Wise. Welcome to No Approval Needed, where we are all connected. We're going to have conversations with some incredible women with amazing stories to tell who need no approval to follow their passions and live authentically. So today we have child psychologist, Dr. Jen Jansen, a child psychologist here in Houston. And I have been talking to her a little bit about how our ego comes into play when we're parenting. It's a conversation I've had with a lot of my friends, peers around me that are also parents. And I think it's super relevant. Um, I think the first thing is having the awareness around how some of our parenting behaviors are really just projections of our own stuff and things that we can carry possibly from our childhood or our past and project onto our kids, whether it's perfectionistic qualities or fear of judgment or just wanting to fit in. Sometimes we don't even realize what we're doing. It can be the seemingly small things like how our kids dress or wear their hair or which extracurricular activities they choose to participate in, whether they're embarrassing us in public by some sort of behavior or tantrum, but sometimes it's even deeper than that. I do think there is a very fine line between instilling morals and values and certain etiquette and wanting to control them like they're an extension of us instead of their own little people. Sometimes it's hard for us to also, you know, see our own flaws in our children, whether it's the tone of voice that they're talking to us in that you realize, oh, they got that from me, or even their tendency to be hard on themselves or have fears that you, you know, maybe path down that your own fears. And I think it's important to pay attention to how they trigger us. But having that awareness and taking a look at our own childhood and our life experiences can really help us sort of realize what part of it is about us and what is about our kids. So I really am excited to share with you this episode with Dr. Jansen, and we're so happy to have her here today. Okay, welcome to No Approval Needed. We are so excited today to have Dr. Jen Jansen. She is a child psychologist, and I am just so grateful to have you here today, and um, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad that you invited me to join. So uh, what I could do, maybe tell you a little bit about me uh, before yes, we, we would love that. talk further. But so I am a clinical psychologist. I work primarily with children, adolescents, and parents. And I studied at the University of Houston and got my graduate degree there and did a internship and fellowship at Texas Children's Hospital. So working with families who were dealing with uh, acute or chronic medical condition, just sort of navigating a lot of stressors associated with that. And then found myself in private practice. So now I work at Psychology Houston. I've been there for a little over a year now and continuing to meet with families and work on a whole variety of different issues that come up um, related to, you know, helping children with various behavior problems or emotional concerns, and then helping parents navigate that with their kids. So it's been a lot of fun and I'm looking forward to, you know, continuing to work with lots of different families. Well, I'm so grateful to have you. And one of the things that I had, you know, prior to this to talk to you about that I wanted to have a conversation about today was how our ego as parents plays a role in our children's lives and where there's things that may be about ourselves we see in our children or things from our past that we could potentially project on our children. And um, it's just something I've been reading a lot about and having a lot of discussions with, with my mom friends. 
um, whether it's something like, you know, for, I'll give an example for myself, right? So I really like to give my daughter the freedom of what to wear because she wears a uniform Monday through Friday to school. Mm -hmm. So I totally understand that she wants to be in her cozy clothes when she comes home from school or on the weekends, have her, you know, time to choose what she wants to wear. And I want to give her that, right? Mm -hmm. But I have found myself lately feeling like, Every time I try to offer her an outfit that I find cute, there's this like total like pushback, like, no, she doesn't want to wear that. That's not what she chose. And then I'm going, well, in my head, she's representing us when she goes out of the house. And if she's like in pajamas going out of the house, like it just makes me feel a certain way. And as silly as that sounds coming out of my mouth, I totally recognize how that's so silly. And that's like my own thing. And, um, just something as simple as that. But then there's also bigger things, right? Like seeing something in your child that triggers your own stuff from your childhood. You know, um, let me look back at my notes. Like what, like one thing um, is like overseeing their group of friends, right? Like mm-hmm. a lot of times I have heard people say, you know, you know, it's hard because my kid isn't friends with my friend's children. It would be a lot easier if like we could all just hang out as a family and like they were all friends, Mm -hmm. but we have to like realize that we aren't in charge of who their friends are. And sometimes it isn't exactly the person that we have picked out for them and letting go of, if it's a good child, just because they're not our friend's children, it's not a big deal. That's great. As long as it's a nice child for your child to hang out with. But I feel like a lot of people are struggling with that like oh my friend has a kid the same age but they're not really friends and kind of wanting to push that on them Mm -hmm. rather than it just be an organic relationship um or like having our feelings hurt as adults for example when our children are left over left out of a birthday party or a get together and then you know we're the adults so we're on social media and we're seeing the get together and we feel this like tug at our heartstrings like oh you know my child wasn't included. When in reality, your child may actually really not care. Like it may not hurt their feelings at all, but it's like, it hurts us. Mm-hmm. So those are just a few things that have come to my mind that I made notes on, but I'd really love to hear your perspective. Um, and just some feedback on how you see that manifesting in mm-hmm. our parenting and how to maybe better, you know, perform as parents in that way. Yeah. I think this is such an important topic to discuss and frankly, one that I wish I could have, you know, more extensive conversations with the parents that I, that I do work with because I, you know, like anything in life, I think we bring our expectations to the table when, you know, we encounter anything and, and there's nothing for many people more important than raising your child. And because of that level of importance and that level of sort of expectation that you bring, you know, it it becomes, it becomes very emotional very quickly, I think. And I really think that's important to acknowledge. And the first step is just to have that awareness, I think, of what are your experiences? What, you know, I think our experiences in childhood inform those expectations and sort of 
you know, the thoughts that we have as we witness what's happening with our children. And as a parent, you know, I should have said also in the introduction, I have a child. He's only about a year and a half now, but, you know, as a parent, you know, I can certainly speak to this personally as well, that it is really hard to, you know, have an expectation not met or to see a challenge, you know, that your child is confronted with and to want so desperately to navigate that either for them or to mitigate the challenge for them in some way, make it better. And we all want that. I think that's very well-intentioned. But I think, you know, having an awareness of that is a really important first step. And that's why I'm really glad that you've sort of brought this to the table for us to discuss, uh, because that will inform then how we respond. And, you know, I always tell parents, I think when you have an emotional response to something that's happening with your child, to think about emotions sort of like information. It's telling you something either about what you value or what you're, you care about. And that may not be exactly aligned with what your child is experiencing, which you kind of spoke to as well, that, you know, like for instance, if you're trying to facilitate a friend group and your child isn't, you know, vibing with the group, well, then what are you supposed to do as a parent? Like you have more perspective in seeing some of the maybe long-term outcomes associated with that, or, you know, you can see sort of how that fits in context and what that means about your child or, you know, and I think it's, it can be really easy to fall into a negative interpretation of that very quickly. Right. Mm -hmm. And to think, okay, and almost give over importance to it and say, okay, well, because my child isn't getting along with so-and-so, well, what does that mean? Right. And I think it often, instead of what it means for your child, it's speaking to what it means to you. Right. And that's the filter that then, you know, drives what happens next. And so it's really hard to make that distinction, I think. And then once you've done that, you know, to explore where it's coming from, so you can navigate it a little bit better. Um, exactly. I feel like the self-awareness is obviously number one with most things in our life. And, um, as I've said in my podcast before, like I am, I am like hyper self-aware almost to an extreme where it's like, oh my gosh, I wish I just didn't even know that about myself. Um, so I can only speak obviously to my own experience or to those of my friends that have shared with me, their parenting experiences. And we have, you know, I have, a group of girlfriends and we're constantly sharing like our experiences and our struggles and getting advice from one another, which is so great, but it's just so interesting that there is so much, there's so much in common between all the different. And then sometimes we'll be like, oh, well, you know, you're in a private school. So that goes on there. Or I'm like, no, this is universal. This is something that's going on everywhere. Um, So like one thing that would maybe be more of like a one and a half year old mom type thing is like a, a public meltdown, right? Like that seems to be a common thing that comes up and it's not just a one and a half year old. It can be a five-year-old, a 10-year-old. It could be, you know, a 13-year-old talking back to you in public. And um, I know that's really embarrassing for a parent because it feels like a reflection of them or just such a level of disrespect. Um so it's interesting. Sometimes I'll see people in public and I just am so in awe of how they handle it, right? Like some parents are like, they kind of ignore it, but then I've seen the opposite where it's this just huge blow up emotional experience. So what, what's your take on that? Oh, so first let me say as a parent, and you know, I've been working with 
families for almost 10 years clinically. But, you know, as a parent now, I am so humbled, I will say, by these kinds of experiences that I might have in a public setting where, yeah, of course, like every child, I think every parent has probably experienced this where you just, your kid has a meltdown or there's some other behavior, you know, that's somewhat embarrassing, right? Like I think about even little things like not sharing or being polite or, and you're like, oh no. And, you know, I think I've also been caught in the trap of it's easy to judge other parents and, you know, and say, okay, because I think I've been very guilty of that in the past, certainly where I've said, okay, well, you know, we should ignore this behavior, you know, or what, okay, that's easy to say, but you don't know the context. You don't know someone's full story. I mean, they could have had a full day of tantrums and they're just right. at their end, they're at the end of the road here. Uh, or, you know, you just, you don't know what's going on in someone's life. And so it's really easy to fall in that trap. And I think, you know, having now had a child myself, I'm certainly like, I think, have a little bit more empathy for that experience. Um, but it can absolutely be one of the toughest things to deal with uh, because you feel it's a reflection of you. And right. I think as a parent, because maybe, you know, we judge sometimes other people, uh, you know, you feel judged. And right. I'm, I've actually also been pleasantly surprised that, you know, there is a really supportive and positive mom community out there, especially certainly oh, yeah. experiences for young children, but you know, there really are, like, we get it as parents, you see a parent across the playground, you're like, I, I'm with you. <laughs> you know, there is a solid yes. that too. So I try to, for myself, frame, frame things from that perspective to say like, okay, wait, we can all acknowledge that like parenting is really, really hard. It is so true that it is one of the toughest jobs. And I think when we recognize that we remind ourselves about that, you know, we can all come from the same place and, and just hopefully have a little confidence to just do what we know we need to do. That's best for our child in that situation. And as a mom and a dad, you're going to know your child best. You are the expert, Um, right? Every kid is very different. And we certainly know there's certain behavioral principles that will guide us and help us navigate, you know, in one situation or another, but there's a lot of nuance. And so that's partly why I have a job because, you know, I do a lot of just the problem solving and knowing that it's not always an easy answer and we're sort of in it for the long haul. And that's why Mm -hmm. there are people like us out there to support parents and families in the process, because it is really challenging. And just having, like you said, like a supportive, you know, community of moms around you that will look at you and target when your kid is having a meltdown and say some sort of supportive words or maybe like say to the kid, like, oh my gosh, look at that. Distract them. Like I find myself when I see that happening, I try to just like smile and Mm -hmm. say, oh my gosh, I've been there and you've got this and just say something that makes them feel because you whether or not you're being judged in that situation you're judging yourself you're feeling judged your cheeks are turning red you're feeling your you know your your heart rate is rising like it's this like terrible feeling and that's like a situation that's a meltdown but then the situation like you said okay plenty of times you have kids over to your house for a play date and when your child is on their own turf they feel this ownership over their things and their space. And so they kind of can sometimes feel like they're in charge, right? Mm -hmm. 
So there's been many times when I myself have had children to my house. I'm looking at my kids going, oh my gosh, they're, they're not being nice friends, you know, and vice versa. We, you know, I've been at friends' houses and watched the parent get mad at their kid for, you know, not being kind to my child in a certain way. And, and going back to the mom community and just having compassion for each other as moms going, we know you're going to handle this the best way possible. Um, but sometimes I don't know what to do in that situation, right? Where there's a child at my house and I can see one of my children maybe being a little bit bratty and I don't want to cause a scene because I don't want it to blow up even bigger. But is the time to, to, to step in in that moment or take them into another room or wait till the play date is over? Like, how do you advise a parent to handle a situation like that? Yeah, that's a tough one. And I usually recommend, you know, a consequence. So if there is some sort of inappropriate behavior, we know that kids respond best to consequences and reinforcement, right? And so it sort of depends, like, is this something that happens all the time? Is this sort of an isolated incident? Um, you're always sort of navigating how to, to manage that impression that you're making on other people at the same time. But I, th I think there can be a balance of that where you, you have a consequence in place. We know consequences are always more effective, the more immediate that they can be. So generally I want parents to do it as soon as they can. So not wait till after the play date. Um, even if you need to follow through with your consequence afterward, you wanna go ahead and implement that consequence as soon as possible. Um, and I think if you, if you need to do that privately, I think that's fine, right? Like pull them aside, you know, let the other parents know. I mean, I think most of the time when you're in a situation like that, you're probably at someone's house or someone's at your house that you know fairly well, and they probably know what's up. You know, you're probably not mm -hmm. dealing with that everybody's like shocked, like, oh, I can't believe so-and-so's child is like you know, being right or whatever, they've probably seen it before. If it's a problem in one instance, it's probably happened before. So which is why it's embarrassing, right? As yeah. a mom, especially yeah. if another mom is there, mm -hmm. you get this feeling of like, oh, oh my gosh, I cannot believe my kid is acting like that. What have I done wrong? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, where, where in my parenting have I gone wrong where my kid is going to behave like this in front of another child and in front of another parent? Mm -hmm. And I have seen that happen a number of times and the embarrassment and the shame that a parent will feel because of their children's behavior, even if it's a small little thing where, you know, me or the other mom will be like, oh my gosh, don't worry. It's no big deal. It's just your ego is part of who you are and it, it comes into play and it feels not good, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that is that speaks to the work that we have to do as a parent to also in some ways separate ourselves from our children, that the behavior that our child exhibits is a function of more than just our parenting sometimes, right? Sure. It's a big piece of the puzzle. Absolutely. But any behavior is multifactorial, meaning there's a lot of different pieces that are going to drive it. And, you know, kids are very much sponges and sort of conduits and they're just they, they sort of, everything kind of flows through them, right? And so they're going to be very much a product of circumstances and what's happening around them and their developmental level, you know, there's so much that will contribute to behavior. It's not completely attributed, attributed to just us alone, right? right? And so sometimes maybe keeping that in mind will help because I want us to challenge that negative thinking about ourselves, right? Because that is mm -hmm. going, again, that embarrassment 
will then sometimes influence your behavior in a way that you wouldn't necessarily want, right? Like you may not be as inclined to provide a consequence because you're feeling a little bit taken off guard and you're mm -hmm. sort of embarrassed. And you're just not sure you have the efficacy, self-efficacy and the confidence to follow through with that. And so right. it can undermine really the things that you know how to do and that you do quite well. Uh, so I, I'm always trying to also, when I work with parents, challenge some of those negative thoughts about ourselves as a parent and the role that we have um, and the ability that we have to shape behavior. So even though it's not your, it's absolutely not your fault what's happening, you do have a say in what, in shaping it moving forward, right? Right. And so I want it to, it's sort of a double-edged sword because you want it to empower people, but you don't want it to be embarrassing and feel like this is, I don't want people to have guilt, Right. Because that, again, will fuel the embarrassment and shame that you can have about. Yes, it becomes a, you know, how Brene Brown says the shame spiral and, and that never yes. feels good. Um, another piece of that, too, is like when you see qualities within yourself in your children, right? Like, I don't know a single parent who can't see that, you know, and it's, you know, sometimes you see your good qualities, but when you see the things that you don't find as positive qualities within yourself and your children, it's hard, it's triggering. Mm -hmm. So, you know, one of my kids, for example, a teacher told me um, at a parent teacher conference, you know, they're really, really hard on themselves. And I just kind of smiled and looked at my husband and I was like, I wonder where they get that from, you know? And, um, you know, and trying to take myself out of it. Maybe that is just how she was born and who she is. Maybe, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that I don't model that, right? Because I try not to say anything negative about myself or other people in front of my children. But it's just so interesting how that made me feel hearing that because that's a struggle of mine that I don't want my child to struggle with. Mm. And I think that a lot of people will, will see that within their children, whether it's, you know, something that might be hard at school or, um, or even little things like if your child isn't invited to something like we were talking about before, what, you know, if that happened to you when you were a kid, like all these little triggering things that are maybe from our past mm -hmm. that are coming out within your children or experiences that your children are having. Mm -hmm. So it's like, how do we separate ourselves from, from those that? Mm -hmm. That's really tough. And I think I actually, I hear that a lot and not just ourselves, like seeing something negative quality about yourself and your child. I think people who have more self-awareness probably pick up on that a little bit more. I also mm -hmm. hear it a lot like, oh, my child reminds me of so-and-so in the family, like the grandfather mm. or the mother. And I don't want my child to end up like that. And there's a quick assumption that is made that, oh, because we see this, this trait that equates to this full-fledged human being that we don't want this person to become, right? Because it's fear. We're operating on fear. And, you know, when we operate on fear, our estimation of risk is completely different, right? Mm -hmm. I, th I give the example all the time of when I, like, I'm a nervous flyer. So when I get in a plane and I'm, you know, I, I know that flying is the safest mode of transportation. It's great. But when, you know, I get into the plane and I feel a little bit of turbulence, I now am way overestimating the risk of something bad happening. I'm like, we're going down. 
you know, mm-hmm. yep. and that's how we do it. I mean, we're sort of, you know, we've evolved to respond that way to threat so that we can be sure we avoid or escape that threat. And so when we activate that fear of like, well, is my child going to be like me or are they going to be like so-and-so and, you know, you're making a big extra- extrapolation, right? And actually we are not very good at predicting what outcomes you know, a child will have in life, especially later in life, there are very few long-term predictors of pretty much anything. (laughs) So much can change along the way. It's like, you cannot predict, predict it. And you know, what's really interesting. I think the fact that, you know, you notice that and you're observing it and you're wanting to work on it is often, I think one of the best things you can do because that, that right there, by itself means that your child will probably not be the thing you're trying to work against. Now, that's I don't such know a that good happens. point. Yeah. Cause you don't want, I think for me, it's like, I don't want my children to have the things that were hard for me be hard for them. And on that note, that's another thing where, you know, I've, I've been reading a lot about like resilience and grit and how it's really important for our children to experience things that are going to provide those things for them, right? And it's that's difficult because we want our children to feel safe. Yeah. We want our children to feel loved. We want our children to feel protected. But we also have to have a boundary of where our role comes in when they're having a conflict mm-hmm. or trouble with somebody or something. Um, when is it time to swoop in and be the martyr that solves all the problems for them. And when is it the time to step back and know that whatever their conflict is, they are safe, but there may be some challenges of them trying to work through whatever that thing may be. You know, I'm on the side of um, kind of wanting to let them figure things out on their own, right? Um, I feel that when they do problem solve on their own, they have a sense of pride that they've overcome something and I just think about the future and like when they are no longer in our home and they are out in this great big world and they are not protected by us every minute they have to have the tools to be able to resolve conflict resolve difficult situations like that's life not everything is just easy and handed to us and taken care of for us absolutely I love how you phrase that and you know, it's so tempting to just want to step in and, you know, we can do a lot more harm than good, really. Um, You know, if you step in, you do undermine, I think, a child's self-efficacy and their ability to, to practice, you know, solving something and doing that, you know, I think sometimes it does help to give a little scaffolding, certainly, Um, And especially depending on the issue and the developmental level of the child, so the age of the child, right? Um, But I I think a lot of, more often than not, what I'm doing when I work with parents is I'm trying to help them step back and be okay with that. And, you know, and see, and yeah, it means you're going to witness a little bit more hardship, but remembering that that is what builds character. That's exactly what we want kids to experience. And why not do that when they're under your umbrella, they're under your protection, you're really overseeing a lot of it. Um, and you can control still a lot of what's happening if you need to, but you're allowing them and giving them the space to really build up that ability 
and themselves. And what a powerful way to like build confidence, you know, in a child, um, because the person they care about the most is saying, you got this, right? It's one thing to say it. It's another thing to step back and show your child that really, I think you can do this. Mm -hmm. um, and there's no more powerful way to communicate that than to show it. And so I try to frame it that way when, when I talk about, especially if you've got, I mean, I work with a lot of anxious kids, for example, who are like, mm -hmm. they're terrified to do things that, you know, you, it's heartbreaking, like just walk into the classroom or meet a friend, right? Like initiate a conversation with someone or, you know, anything like that, you know, perform, maybe um, take a test or just do well in the softball game or whatever. And you just see that fear holding them back. And the tendency again is to rush in. But when you do that, you know, you're really not giving kids an opportunity to, to really experience the moment, work through it on their own. I think parents, I want you guys to be there. I want us to support them. But, you know, you, if you rush in and solve it, then, you know, you're going to undermine the whole process. And it's a way right. to do. Right. And I think like our job in parenting is sort of, um, getting them ready for those types of things, right? Like letting them know like mom and dad or whoever your caregiver is always there for you. And if you ever need anything, we are here, but we know that you are strong enough and powerful enough to handle things on your own. And there are certain things that we can't do for you and we're not gonna do for you because we want you to learn how to do those things and carry those tools in, into your life, right? It's just so interesting because there are so many like, different styles of parenting now. There's books on every different type of style. And you mentioned the word scaffolding. And I actually recently read about like, you know, there's the helicopter parent, which, you know, parents talk about all the time. And I, I read recently about scaffolding. So I guess what that means is like, it's not swooping in and taking care of the issue, but kind of just like I was saying, preparing them and giving them the tools and letting them know that you believe in them enough to handle the conflict. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. So you're, you're setting up the situation as much as you can to promote the likelihood of success and then letting them carry it through. Yeah. And so, you know, if a child is so anxious about going to school the first day, you know, we don't want to just, all right, well, anyway, shove them out the car. See you later. You know, you could do that. I think it probably would work. It would just be really hard for everyone. It's like throwing a kid that can't swim into the deep end of the pool to like teach them how to swim. And that works for some people. That's fine. Right. But like, I, I, not for me. I, I, I can't do that. I want them right. set up to, to succeed. Absolutely. So you know what? Maybe we put the floaties on and we kind of, you know, encourage them to get in the shallow end and test it out for a bit, but we're not gonna hold them while they're sitting in the water and make sure we're just not gonna do a lot of the coddling. We're gonna kind of step-by-step step get them to where they need to be. And so that's kind of how I think about scaffolding and you, and I always try to have it be child-driven as much as possible. So, you know, giving choices where we can, so still maintaining an expectation, we're still gonna walk into school, we're still gonna get into the pool. Here's some options for how we're gonna do that. I know you can do this. Let's pick one, you know, and then if we need to, we just provide some extra reinforcement to help kids make a good choice. In other words, a choice that was hard for them to make, like they right. didn't get in the pool. They didn't want to walk into school. I'll tell you what, when you do that, 
then I'll bring you lunch today or, you know, we can kind of make it worth their while because it is a tough step to take. And so we're still supporting them. We're still part of the process. We're very actively part of the process, but I'm not going to do it for someone, right? Because that will keep them from having that experience ultimately. And then they learn, right. okay, I did such a hard thing. I didn't think I could do that. Wow. And guess what? Mommy was, or daddy was right there beside you the whole time cheering you on. And that is the best feeling in the world. We have my daughter made, um, at school, this sheet, she brought home. It says we can do hard things. And I just love that so much. And I put it right on my refrigerator and I look at it every day. And sometimes I'm like, not even like conscious of what I'm, what I'm reading, but I see it there every day. And I'm like, in some ways that's some somehow soaking in for all of us, I hope. Um, because that is what life is all about is like overcoming things and being able to do, you know, the hard things. Um, what are your thoughts on like how cultural and social constructs, you know, the norms in our world kind of affect like the different styles of parenting, right? Like, um, let's see, like, for example, you must make straight A's, right? Or you're a boy, And so you must be on the soccer team and the football team and the basketball team. Um, you're a girl. Okay. So you're going to do ballet and you're going to do uh, theater, gymnastics. And I know a lot of these things are evolving and changing in a really positive way where there isn't such a, um, emphasis on what's normal and what's not, but I'm still seeing it. I'm still seeing it quite often. Um, and you know, I just, I look around and I feel like as a parent, you want your child to be successful in whatever it is they do, but just because maybe you played soccer doesn't mean that your child's going to like soccer or be good at soccer. Um, and I, I don't know. I just kind of, I've heard my friends talk a little bit like, man, like I wish, I wish my kid would do this activity. I wish my kid would do that activity. And I sit back and I'm thinking to myself, well, what if we have a conversation with our kids and say, what is it that you want to do? Do you want to try guitar? Do you want to try violin? Do you want to try art? Fine. You're a boy and all your friends may be playing soccer, but what if that's not your thing? like letting them know there are other options for you. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just kind of thinking out loud about all the different things, you know, I see that I would imagine would put pressure on children when it's like, is it about what you want for your kid or is it about, about you really? Like, cause you think that's the right thing for them, like kind of molding them to be what you want them to be rather than nurturing who they truly want to be or letting them figure out organically what they want and who they want to be. Yeah. It's a great question. I think you're speaking to sort of that sort of individuation that happens where like parent and child are separate human beings. Yes. Like, yes. And how to see your child as their own person. And that, you know, again, any child is sort of situated in a context and it's the immediate family context, which is sort of one of the strongest influences maybe on child development and sort of who they become is your genetic loading and sort of the immediate role modeling and your immediate environment and so on, but also speaking to the community at large, right? So there's an influence of immediate family, but there's also an influence of society and cultural norms and what's acceptable and what's not. And, you know, if your child sort of fits into all the different contexts and okay, great, there's no issue, but often, right? Kids don't, <laughs> they're just their own people. And it's hard to right. sort of, I think, celebrate that because anything that's different can feel, I think, scary. Um, 
and can be somewhat disappointing maybe because again, it's not what you're expecting. Um, and it's hard to let go of that. I think, I don't know, I, I see that a lot when I work with families too. And, you know, I hear all the time parents say, well, I've never talked about grades, for instance. I've never once put an emphasis on grades. Probably not, but also remember, there's a whole culture driving that. There's the whole culture at the school. There's the, you know, all these different environments that your, your child is getting messages from. And that yes. too, that like, you have to acknowledge, wait a minute, like, and I, this comes up a lot too. People want to know, was well, my kid at the right school? Are they in the right group? Are they, you know, because the influence, you know, can be pretty powerful sometimes. Um, but again, you know, as the parent in the more immediate context within the family, you, you have a lot of power in swaying that if you need to. Um, but it's easy, I think, to attribute like anything that's different as like unhealthy or um, not maybe just not what you would want for your child and that that's okay for kids to be different from you it's just really right to do that. so what do you do when like a you know like a parent comes in and they're like I don't understand like I don't understand why Sam won't play soccer like, do you, like, what is the best way to coach a parent in like letting go of um, what they want for their child versus what their child wants? And is it just more like communicating with your child and having an open dialogue about like, okay, you don't want to do that. What do you want to do? I actually love that you immediately took it to communicating because that's, I think, a central part of it. Yes, that part of what we want to do is understand why this child is not wanting to do this. Right. And sometimes the answer surprises us. Like actually they're terrified of soccer or they don't like team sports because they don't get along with, I don't know. There could be so many reasons why a child isn't wanting to do what the parent wants them to do. And that's usually what's happening for the most part. Occasionally it's it's just a mismatch of interests, let's say. Mm -hmm. And then it's bringing that to the table and building better communication um, around, okay, well, well, what is happening here? You know, as a parent, are you, are we being sure the doors are open so that we can have those conversations and it's acceptable to like, mm -hmm. just have, do whatever it is that you want. Was that not part of the, the conversation previously? And you know, if not, why not? And so there's a lot we can unpack. Um, but I think the first step is often just to try to understand better what's motivating that. Why are we butting heads? And I think it's always, you got to look at both sides. You know, it's partly what the child is bringing to the table and it's partly what a parent brings to the table for sure. It's so With, true. It's so true. Parent have a negative experience with some other sport or, you know, did we, I don't know, just, there's a lot that we could, we could talk about, but, you know, I think understanding it and building better communication is often a really good way to go. Definitely. And to speak that to that a little bit more, it's kind of like, sometimes we underestimate how much our behavior or mood can mm -hmm. attribute to the attitude and behavior of our children. Right. I had a conversation with a friend yesterday or the day before, and we were talking about how when we're feeling stressed or anxious and we're spending a lot of time on our phone and we're distracted, there is behavior stuff going on. Mm. And sometimes we're so caught up in whatever is going on that we're not stopping and going, oh my gosh, 
Are they feeding off of my negative energy? Are they feeling this? Are they needing me to pay attention to them? And that's it. And nine times out of 10, you put the phone down, you look them in the eyes and you take yourself down a notch. Like everything changes. It's again, it's the connection and the communicating, right? Absolutely. Sometimes that's all it takes. Absolutely. And who is not guilty of that? I think we all have been there. (laughs) I am so guilty. I am like, I'm so, again, the hyper-awareness of it. I just need to be so diligent about having certain times of day where that is just a way. Because then I also think about that's modeling behavior, right? And they are going to have phones one day and they're going to look at me and go, well, what do you mean? You were on your phone all the time. Like, I don't want that, you know? And I think about the message you send if you're always on a phone or a screen and your child sees that, well, what's more important, right? right? It subtly communicates that what I'm doing in this phone is more important than you, Right. And we never want that. I, I think that's kind of an extreme of outcome of that, but you know, it can sort of communicate that. And so of course kids will act out. I mean, a lot of times you see an increase in inappropriate behavior as a function of, you know, trying to gain attention. And so why is that happening? Um, and one of the first steps that I take with families is to try to build more positive attention. So we have a better foundation from the get-go. Um, because mm-hmm. I think everybody could probably do that, right? Even families that are, you know, spending a lot of time together, it's, you know, being mindful about how much you use electronics and how much time you're spending together. And it doesn't have to be a, a extensive amount of time, right? We have good research to s- suggest that, you know, even just a little bit of time each day, a few minutes each day, uh, has a really significant impact on mood and, uh, relationship quality and just functioning within the family. So yeah, all parties walk away, like feeling fulfilled and happy. Once you've given that uninterrupted, undistracted time. Yes. And being intentional about it, being very intentional in doing that. Yeah, no, it makes a very big difference. It's, um, it's something that is definitely going to be a a pre new year's resolution resolution for me. And, you know, we all, we all have our good days and bad days with it, but, um, again, back to awareness, just knowing that it can have an impact and when there's an appropriate time and when it it may not be, Mm -hmm. um, struggling as a parent, getting help. Like the tendency is people will kind of wait like, Oh, well, I don't know. This is fine. But we like welcome people to come see us just chat about it. I mean, I'm a mom myself. I meet with families all the time. This is exactly what we do. And, you know, not being afraid to do that. Um, I think that's a really big one that, you know, it's easy. And I myself fall into this to think, oh, but I must not be doing a good job. Or it means that like, there's something really wrong with my child if I'm seeking help for this, but really no. I mean, we see this all the time and it doesn't mean that there's something really wrong. It just means we make a few tweaks and then we figure out how to work it in your family and get it going. We optimize the whole process and, you know, have everybody be happier and healthier. Absolutely. I look at therapy and all, all types of therapeutic um, things that you can do, whether it's a, you know, a psychologist for yourself or for your children, any therapeutic setting in your life is such a positive thing. And I know that some people will say, oh, you know, this is just a phase in my life or just a phase in my child's life. Like, let's just wait it out. But like you said, there's, there's only positive outcome that can come from 
starting things on the early side and getting it under control before it gets to the point where it's like triage, you know, like it's just, you know, you're at some point where it makes it even more difficult, but um, I'm just so grateful that your profession exists truly. Like it is just, it's so helpful for so many families and has changed like really the course of, you know, children's lives when they can have the early intervention mm-hmm. and the help to, to get the tools in their toolbox to move forward, you know, in their life. Absolutely. I could literally talk to you for two more hours and ask you 5,000 questions and unpack so many different things, but I really, really appreciate you taking the time to have this conversation. It's been so informative, and I really know that a lot of parents will feel really good hearing that this is going on in other people's lives. Like I always say, there's nothing more powerful and soothing than hearing me too, because especially in this parent mother dad community like we're not in it alone anything that's going on out of your house in your house nine times out of ten is going on in all the houses right like yeah this is this is our life right now this is the stage we're in and we're all trying to navigate it every single day and we learn something new every single day I myself know that I am learning from my children something new about myself about the world every single day it's kind of amazing. I think that they're putting our lives to really teach us so much in so many ways as we are to teach them. Um, but again, they are their own people. They are not just an extension of us and really understanding that we can nurture and help them become who they're meant to be at the end of the day. Absolutely. And knowing that it's not anything you're seeing doesn't necessarily forecast the future, right? Like it's a snapshot. And so children are always developing and growing. And the more we can let them do that with some of the scaffolding, the better. They are the greatest teachers. (laughs) It's so true. It's so true. So you, you practice here in Houston, obviously. So people that are local can obviously find you and I'll put all of your information in our show notes. So psychologyhoustonpc.com. And you'll find me there. You can read my bio and you can read the bio of everybody at our practice. Everyone's wonderful. And yeah, I encourage people to look us up. And if you want to get help, please do. And do you see patients um, in person and over Zoom right now? We do. Yes. So I'm I'm mostly in person uh, with a little bit of virtual. So we have the option for both. Okay. Well, thank you so much again. I'm so, so grateful that you came on today. And um, I hope to talk to you again soon. I have, I have so many more questions and so many other things. Okay, perfect. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much, Dr. Jansen. I really appreciate it. And I'll talk to you soon. All right. You're welcome. All right. Thanks so much, Brooke. I'll talk to you soon. Have a great day. Talk soon. Okay. Thank you. Bye. All right. Bye.